I'm going to briefly mention sex. I am okay with frequenting adult entertainment spots in moderation. I honor the world of work and law enforcement in all of my decisions. I must confess that I am the type of person who is atypically comfortable engaging in nude sex scenes in movies and television, softcore porn scenes, hardcore porn scenes, dancing naked on screen, walking around naked on screen, just being seen butt-ass naked on the screen. In the future, I'll be featuring nude art, nude modeling art, nude calendars, fine art nude photography, nude photography, erotic thrillers, erotic films, erotic dramas, romantic dramas, love scenes, sex comedies, erotic photography, glamour photography, naked yoga, nude swimming, nude beaches, nude parties, clothing optional events, nude weddings, nudist resorts, nude magazine covers, nude album covers, nude photo shoots, nude screenshots, I don't mind being featured in celebrity sex as long as myself wherever I'm with make at least most of the proceeds in reference to contractual fairness distributed by a reputable establishment soon I'm going to have my own birth control line my own sex shop my own ethical porn slash erotica company my own sex toy line my own strip club my own adult dating website my own peep show business my own adult theater my own adult motion picture, adult motion picture theater, my own adult motel, my own adult driving theater, my own adult video store, my own adult bookstore, my own adult arcade, my own adult novelty store, my own adult sex shows, my own adult cabaret, my own nude model studio, my own sexual encounter center, my own sexual wellness store, my own helping sexual trauma survivors to sexually heal uh, ourselves and my own red light district businesses all of my adult industry all of my uh, adult entertainment industry business will embody sex positivity will events ethical sex will honor sex workers rights labor rights right to health and human rights of sex workers working towards the full decriminalization of sex work will spotlight inclusive conference of sex education will teach Sex positive parenting will teach how to love. LGBTQ plus persons will affirm human rights for all, will obey the law, will see and treat human beings as fully human beings, will cater to people um, with sexual issues. I only do with banks and appreciate my businesses as an ethical adult merchant. I recently decided that I'd do ethical porn in the future. Performer, intimacy coordinator, intimacy choreographer, producer, talent manager, pornographer, and director. So I can promote healthy body image, healthy sensuality, healthy intimacy, healthy socialization, healthy nudity, healthy self-esteem, healthy conflict resolution, healthy boundaries, healthy sexuality, uh, healthy romance, healthy casual relationships, healthy eroticism, healthy human dynamics, edutainment, educational entertainment, social justice, satire, common ground, imparting understanding, understanding, and overstanding, highlighting the danger of implied consent while highlighting the needfulness of unanimous consent, informed consent, and expressing consent, showing oneness and wholeness, the emphasis 
uh, critical thinking skills, being fully human, humanely, the imperativeness of the wisdom of heedings, the cautionary tales, and the cruciality of the human rights movement. These life values of mine aspire to formulate in the future my um, ethical porn slash erotic entity. I generally these ways, even if the traumas never happened in my life. An ethical porn consists of fair payment for filmmakers and performance environments and safer sexual practice, real equal sexual pleasure, caters to all kinds of viewership, diversification of ability, age, sexuality, race, body size, gender, and temperament, physical and emotional safety, mutual disgust, consent, the utmost respectfulness of those on camera, off camera, no unpleasant surprises, not to have to use sexual rights, and protecting minors from adult material. Generally, these ways, even the traumas never happened in my life. Now, I've gotten everything out of my system about sex. Not a sex episode. Got to get that out. I'm going to do these. Uh, I will just. Do one. Here we go. If your goal in, in therapy is to be happy, you might want to rethink that. Here's why. Number 26,018 Sam Dylan Finch. Originally published on Let's Clear Things Up and Cross Close Heal with Dalbert's Permission. I first walked to a therapist's office when I was 18 years old. I had one goal and one goal only. I just wanted to be happy, I said. Up until that point, I couldn't really remember what that felt like. I didn't know at the time that I had obsessive compulsive disorder. As it turns out, runs in the family that my near constant state of guilt, panic, and rumination was, wasn't actually the way most brains operate. I thought happiness was the whole point of this mental health thing. So I became something of an emotional hypochondriac. If I wasn't happy, something was wrong. Suddenly, my very human experiences like sadness, anger, and anxiety were all quote-unquote problems that need to be quote-unquote fixed. I had this unreasonable expectation that if I worked hard enough, I could minimize the presence of every other emotion to become capital H happy. That's not exactly the healthiest mindset if you really think about it. Ask anybody what they want out of life, and they'll probably tell you the same thing I told my therapist all those years ago. It's about being happy, isn't it? But happiness is just one emotion, and humans aren't built to experience one emotion, one emotion only. So we set up ourselves for failure. We internalize this idea that life's about sustaining something that can't actually be sustained, but we pretend that with the right attitude it can be. And then we wonder why we keep getting let down. This doesn't leave room for the whole spectrum of emotions every one of us is going to feel. The thing is, if our goals for therapy, our recovery, or recovery generally, or even life are setting us up for failure, they aren't really serving us. In fact, they're probably going to discourage us. This becomes doubly true when we're talking about marginalized people where social circumstances basically make it impossible to be happy all of or even most of the time. And if your goal for therapy is impossible, you might give up before you even get to the good shit. The really paradoxical thing about mental health recovery is that the goals that lend themselves to, ha- to happiness usually aren't about happiness at all, at least directly. A lot of people find that the less they focus on quote unquote being happy, the more they're able to make changes that contribute to their happiness. Being happy with greater frequency and intensity just becomes this weird and totally cool ass side effect that loose the West for me. So if you're not going to therapy or living life to become happy, what the fuck's the point? I started asking the same thing. What I learned along the way kind of blew my goddamn mind wide open. 
If you're wondering what might be helpful to work towards, whether it's a therapist, a life coach, a spiritual guide, and a support group, or even as prompts for your journal, that's what the hell I'm here for. Here are five goals that I found to be especially important for therapy. Why being happy isn't one of them. One, I want to live a life that feels more meaningful. Arguably, every goal on this list circles back to this one. There's an awesome TED Talk by psychologist Emily Asfahani Smith unpacking this exact thing. I highly recommend it. It's based off of a book she wrote that's rooted in her work in positive psychology pulling not just from research but also from philosophical spiritual traditions we can't be happy all the time but if we can create a greater sense of meaning it gives us something even better a life that feels worthwhile it can motivate us to invest in ourselves our communities and our world in a way that doesn't depend on whether or not we're happy in a given moment in other words it's more sustainable smith outlines the key pillars of a more meaningful life by breaking it down into four categories, belonging, feeling affirmed by people around you for purpose, serving others in some way that reflects our values, storytelling, which I'll talk about a little more below, and transcendence, moments that fill us with awe or wonder. I personally find belonging by joining groups in my local queer community, and purpose by volunteering local, locally around causes I care about. I found transcendence by going to concerts and becoming a drag performer, these can art have always made me feel like I'm a part of something good and travel a little more. I have a confession to make. I am so thrilled of my decision to be a drag performer from time to time. Be in drag shows from time to time. I decided to go with an LGBT plus, plus culture. Um, I decided to participate in pride parades and wearing pride flags and rainbow flags and have fun in gay villages and gay neighborhoods, living in you know, neighborhoods with high proportion of LGBT plus, plus residents. Um, glad I can say these things out loud. Now let me move forward. It's worth mentioning, I was able to do this after I found the right balance of psychiatric medication to better manage my obsessive compulsive disorder ADHD. But I did recognize that this requires a strong enough foundation on which to build. Luckily, a shift in goals can help us determine what exactly working towards which can inform what kind of support we need. Two, I want to create a better narrative for and about myself. I've heard many times before that we, that who we are is just a compilation of the stories we repeatedly tell ourselves, whether we realize that or not. For the longest time, I rid myself off as some neurotic, broken person that just needed to be quote-unquote fixed and that deeply impacted how I treat myself and the choices that I made. Working with a best therapist even blocking about my experiences helped me construct an entirely different story for myself. In the process and unpacking my life's experiences, I could see more clearly that I'd done my best, learned from my mistakes, and emerged on the other side a stronger, more determined person. I realized my identity was simply an interpretation of all the events I could remember. And as it turned out, there were many different ways to interpret those events that I'd never thought of. 
Up until recently, I chose to interpret difficult events in my life as a reflection of my own inadequacy and failure rather than a journey of personal growth and new insight. Practicing, practicing this reframing of my life, especially with therapists, helped me to help me construct a new story and a new appreciation for who I am and who I've become. There's actually plenty of research that backs us up too. Internalized narratives play a big part in our overall satisfaction with life. The tricky thing is we're not always aware of the stories we're telling ourselves. The fish in the bowl doesn't always see the water after all. But when we've uncovered these narratives and start to question where they came from and what we can learn from them, it can make a big difference in how we perceive ourselves and by extension how we feel like, hey, cognitive behavioral therapy anyone? I don't believe for a minute that we quote unquote choose to be happy or unhappy. I do believe however that brains are pretty malleable things and with practice and sport, we can find a different way to tell ourselves we can find a different story to tell ourselves and learn to believe in it too. And if our identities are really just the interpretation of a life story, those interpretations can change our whole selves. Three, I want to cultivate more intimate, fulfilling relationships. Our relationships play a big part in our day to day. I'm constantly amazed as I do more work with a therapist at how often I've graduated, how often I've gravitated towards toxic relationships without fully realizing it. Many of us have patterns in how we engage. The kinds of people we seek out in what ways we invest in others or don't, just a, or don't just a few weeks ago. I wrote about one of my worst patterns as a people pleaser. Let's queer things up.com. Okay. Let's queer things up.com. I suspect we'd be a lot more satisfying life were, if we were more aware of these things, but that awareness takes work. Being more aware of our relational patterns is an awesome goal. It can wind up making us happy in the long run. It benefits ourselves, people we care about, and the communities in which we live. If you're not sure where to start, there's some questions worth considering. Who are the people I spend my time with? How do I feel before I spend time with them? How do I feel after? How do I feel when I am spending time with them? During the time I'm spending time with them. I wasn't able to answer the second question at first, so I had to start being more mindful when I hung out with people. Let me tell you, it was mind-blowing to see how some of the people I invested in most made me feel worse. How do the people closest to me express their care, investment, and affection for me? How do I reciprocate and how often? It's helped me to become more grateful for the generosity that wasn't always the best at noticing and also made me aware of the relationships in which I'm giving a lot more than I was receiving. Relationships are rarely an equal transaction, but, make, but being mindful can help us make better decisions around where we want to invest our energy. Who are the people, if any, that hype me up? How can I find them or connect with them more regularly? I sat down and thought of three people that consistently make me feel good about myself. And no joke, I visit them in a group chat on Facebook. Now we get brunch together most weekends. I even have a spreadsheet where I keep track of the relationships I'm nurturing. I constantly say that my life would prove instantly when I did this. If you don't have close friends or loved ones that hype you up and make you feel good, that's also important to know. It might be time to start expanding your social circle, whether that's online or off. I want to develop resilience, healthy self-reliance. I'm, I'm by no means saying that pursuing happiness is totally futile. It's important to do things that you love and bring happiness to your life. But also think along with seeking out joy, it's a good idea to couple it with learning how to cope with the difficult stuff too. Being happy is awesome, but being able to roll with the punches becomes really important at those times in which happiness isn't feasible or possible because your boss is the worst or the 
or Donald Trump tweets again, but life just happens to suck for a while. It happens. When there's a setback, how quickly do you bounce back? Are there ways you'd like to be able to take care of yourself but find they're difficult to do? In other words, how do you feel helpless or stuck? Are there opportunities to change that? Rather than becoming unhappy looking for quote unquote fixing, it's berating myself feeling negatively or getting fussed as I tried to figure out how I got there. Start accepting how I felt in the moment. After all, thoughts and feelings come and go because that's kind of how brains work. They're super imperfect meat machines, basically. So I went into the clouds to pass. I started grinding myself the moment, asking, what can I do right now to make this moment a little bit better, a little better? Therapy for me has been the best route to learning new coping skills along with antidepressants because sometimes our brains need an assist, but I realize not everyone can access super great therapy and rant for another day. That's why I've written about mental health apps that can teach you some new skills. Shared many of my favorite self-care resources for those that might need it and am a strong advocate for self-help books, online community support groups. The internet can open up access to a lot of these things. Go forth and educate yourself. What is this important goal or process it really allows us to live in a world that's constantly changing and gives our brains permission to be the finicky and unpredictable things that they sometimes are. Plus, I want to uncover where I'm making life more difficult for myself. Everyone on the planet has self-defeating patterns, and I don't necessarily have any research to back this up, but I've yet to meet someone that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, in the foot with some regularity. Some people with depression make themselves sad on purpose because they feel quote unquote safe. As an example, I explain more why in this post. Let's clear things up. More often than not, the coping skills we developed when we were younger aren't so great for the adult world. The rules and the environment are completely different. Also, we likely just weren't as skilled in general to take care of ourselves, wisdom and experience and all of that. Recently, I noticed just how too, how much avoidance makes me miserable. I've always been such a smell like going to the dentist or answering important emails without fully acknowledging that I was only prolonging my pain. Here's a fun discovery. The momentary discomfort of facing what stressed me out was a lot easier than the lengthy, drawn-out anxiety attack that occurred while I put things off. The more I plugged my nose and walked through the shit that I fucking hated but needed to face, the easy and easy the easier and easier it became to tackle my damn stress. Don't get me wrong, I hated every motherfucking minute of it with a fiery, hell-burning passion. But that misery was temporary, never addressing the problem. However, it was permanent. This might seem obvious to you. Like, hello, Sam, you're how old and just now getting this? When we're in the midst of it, we don't always connect the dots. We might also assume that we're helpless or powerless despite circumstances of our lives being very different. Think about learning helpless and scared at some point. It can be really helpful to know about. Now, oftentimes, notice a break of patterns. We need help because this stuff is ingrained and most likely exists for a very good ass reason. In the past, these patterns might have made sense to minimize your immediate stress as much as possible. But I think most of us reach a point when these old tricks start to interfere with the longer, longer term stability we're just we're trying to achieve. Learning more about these patterns and is what can help us start to unlearn them. And honestly, every single person 
on the planet to benefit from working on that. It's just all easier said than done, but that's why it's a process. Remember the stuff on this list is meant to give you a sense of direction as you work towards mental wellness. They aren't just destinations for achievements, they're simply part of a larger process that some of us call personal growth and others simply call life. It's ongoing, but in therapy especially, it's always good to set up some goalposts when when, where you can. My goalpost of be happy wasn't working for me, but the moment I started expecting myself to be happy all the time, life got a whole but the moment I stopped expecting myself to be happy all the time, like my life got a whole of a hell of a lot better and calmer and calmer really in ways I didn't expect. Things like purpose, growth, empathy, and resilience made a bigger impact than critical happiness ever could. We live in a world in which happiness is fleeting. Comes to those with the good news is we can ha- we can have meaningful lives. Lives in which we grow and connect with others in meaningful ways without being constantly happy. Besides, no one needs that kind of fucking pressure. When we start thinking about happiness as the awesome ass byproduct of personal growth, rather than making happiness itself the goal that we chase, we wind up with a much stronger foundation for mental health. And weirdly enough, when we're not obsessed with happiness and so terrified of losing it, it becomes a lot easier to be happy and appreciate it too, damn it, than it ever was before. This was written by Sam Dylan Finch, is a former contributing writer at Everyday Feminism. He's a transgender writer, activist, and educator based in San Francisco Bay Area, exploring intersection of mental illness and queerness. He's also the founder of Let's Queer Things Up, his beautifully queer blog. You can learn more about him and follow him on Twitter at Sam Dylan Finch. You can read his articles here at everydayfeminism.com. And the drag show, drag phone comment, that was me talking. But I can relate to this. This fucking frees me. That I can be all of myself appropriately instead of being a one-sided me that's not really me. I don't want to piss myself off if I don't fucking have.